Welcome to Building Insight, brought to you by the lawyers at Glayholt LLP. Building Insight is Canada's first podcast dedicated to construction law and dispute resolution. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Brennan Maynard, an associate of Glayholt LLP. I'm joined here today by one of our articling students, Madalena Sontrop. Today we'll be discussing a trio of recent Ontario and Alberta decisions which address the discoverability of construction deficiencies under the Ontario and Alberta Limitations Acts. In these cases, the courts zero in on the criterion for discovery of a claim that the plaintiff know that the injury suffered warrants bringing a legal proceeding to seek remedy against the defendant. In each of these three cases we'll discuss today, the courts had to address a situation where an owner identifies deficiencies with the construction work performed by a builder, but the builder, each in their own way, identifies to the owner that they have fixed the problem, or that they will fix the problem, or that the problem will resolve on its own over time. In each instance, the courts found that where an owner of reason believes, based upon the actions or statements of the builder, that the deficiency could and would be remedied without cost and without recourse to the courts, the start for the limitation period will be postponed. Our first case, Gillum and Lake of Bays, deals with a fact scenario that many construction lawyers will be familiar with. The Gillums purchased a 1950s-style cottage in the township of Lake of Bays, Ontario. The cottage was situated on a lakefront property that sloped downwards towards the water, with a wood-retaining wall built to help stabilize the slope. Soon after purchasing the cottage, however, de Gillums discovered that the cottage was tilting downwards towards the lake and that remedial work to the cottage foundations and piers would not be sufficient to completely fix the problem. Upon the recommendation of their contractor, de Gillums decided to remedy the sloping issue by replacing their old cottage with a new pre-made cottage on a newly constructed foundation. The Gillum's contractor retained an excavation subcontractor who built the new foundation and a new stone retaining wall to install the new prefabricated cottage on the property. A few years after taking possession of their finished cottage, the Gillums noticed that one of the piers holding up the deck of their cottage had sunk one and a quarter inches in the soil, pulling the deck posts away from the cottage and towards the lake. The Gillums approached their contractor, seeking warranty assistance to repair this deficiency. The contractor told the Gillums that the pure sinking had nothing to do with construction deficiencies, but was simply a result of minor soil settlement. The contractor jacked up the sinking pier, shimmed it, and suggested that the Gillums hire an engineer to investigate the slope movement. The Gillums retained an engineer firm to investigate the settlement issues, and the engineering firm delivered an investigation report which identified that the weight of the new cottage and newly constructed stone retaining wall was causing the pre-existing lower wood retaining wall to fail, resulting in, and I quote, localized failure of the soil, end quote. The report also identified a hairline crack in the basement floor, typical of shrinkage cracks. The Gillums took the report to their contractor, who advised the Gillums that the soil settlement was a regular occurrence and recommended that they wait and see whether the soil settlement and basement crack resolved itself over time or became worse. 
Relying on this statement, the Gilms agreed and no further work occurred at the property. As you can envision, however, over the next two years the problem did not resolve itself, it became worse. The Gillums periodically jacked up their deck pier and shimmed it, but eventually had to hire another engineer to reinvestigate the issue. The new engineer delivered a report which stated that the sinking deck pier and basement cracking was caused by the failure of stone retaining wall constructed by the excavation subcontractor and other construction deficiencies with the work of the contractor. The Gillums commenced a legal action against the contractor that constructed the cottage, the subcontractor constructed the foundation and stone retaining wall, and the Lake of Bays Township for their inspection. The question before the court was whether the Gillums had discovered their claim under the Ontario Limitations Act 2002 when they received the first report identifying settlement issues and minor basement cracking. The motions judged held that the Gillums had contracted with their builder to build them a new cottage for the express purpose of resolving the foundation issues plaguing their old cottage. Upon receipt of their first engineering report, the Gillums knew or should have known that they did not receive a cottage free of defects and that, in fact, the same settlement and foundation issues had continued. On that basis, the motions judge held that the Gillums had discovered their claim upon receipt of the first report and that their claim was therefore barred under the Limitations Act. The Court of Appeal, however, focused on subsection 51A4 of the Ontario Limitations Act, which provides that for discovery of a claim under the Act, the plaintiff must know that a legal proceeding would be an appropriate means to seek remedy for their loss. Interpreting this subsection, the Court of Appeal held that trivial damages do not trigger the limitation period under the Ontario Limitations Act because a legal proceeding would not be an appropriate means to remedy the loss. Putting the legal and factual analysis together, the Court of Appeal found that the defendant, builder, and excavation subcontractor had minimized the plaintiff's concerns and advised them to stand by and allow resettlement to occur, which might remedy the problem. Further, the court held that the first engineering report likewise only identified a trivial loss, soil settlement, and minor cracking. It wasn't until resettlement didn't help the foundation issues, and the Gillums received the second engineering report identifying that the problem was construction-related and would not resolve itself over time, that the limitation period started to run for the Gillum's claim. For that reason, the Ontario Court of Appeal held that the claim was not statute-barred as against the defendants. Much like the Gillum case, an Alberta decision, Condominium Corporation 0812755 and IBI Group Inc., which I will refer to as the IBI case, concerned the issuance of several expert reports leading to the question as to when the claim against the defendant was discovered. The IBI case concerned a construction deficiency claim at a condominium corporation which operated a four-story residential condominium and underground parking garage in Calgary. A problem arose in relation to the underground parking garage, which was constructed below a landscape plaza common area. Essentially, water went through the concrete slab ceiling and dripped onto the parking lot and the owners' cars. The condominium corporation brought a claim against the developer and the home warranty provider. 
The developer obtained a first report in early 2009, which stated that details regarding the waterproofing membrane could not be identified and suggested the injection of epoxy into the cracks to seal them, cautioning as to its long-term effectiveness. A second report was obtained by the Condominium Corporation in late 2009. This report observed that moisture penetrated the slab through the waterproofing membrane and determined that the injection of epoxy might help, but suggested more significant repairs of the waterproofing membrane were required. In 2012, after a new leak was discovered, a third report was obtained by the Condominium Corporation. The report concluded that the construction was of lower standard than would have been expected and determined that the waterproofing over the entire plaza needed to be replaced to rectify the deficiency. Most importantly, this report identified the IBI group, the defendants in this action, as having an ongoing role in the construction. The Condominium Corporation commenced a lawsuit against the developer and home warranty provider in 2011 and the within lawsuit against IBI in 2012. IBI sought to summarily dismiss the action on basis that the claim was statute bar by Section 3 of the Alberta Limitations Act 2000. The court found that the facts were clear. The condominium corporation was relying on the parties with whom they had contracted with, the developer and the warranty provider, who were actually trying to fix the problem. As such, it was difficult to understand why the condominium corporation would have concluded as early as 2009 that it should have sued parties with whom it had no contractual connection, such as the IBI group, particularly when the parties with whom it had contracted appear to be accepting responsibility for the repair. The condominium corporation did not sleep on its rights and did not rely on mediation and arbitration. The court made it clear that the test was whether the injury warranted bringing a proceeding. In other words, if the harm does not justify bringing the proceedings based on what the plaintiff knew, then the limitation has not yet run. It was evident that since the developer and warranty providers were dealing with the claim, there was no point in suing anyone until it became apparent their efforts were not working. The argument was not about whether the condominium corporation knew there was an injury and should have known that IBI was involved in the construction. The condominium corporation seemed not to have known that the circumstances actually warranted bringing any legal proceeding. The Limitations Act does not require a party to sue everyone who might have been involved when there was responsible parties who appear to be trying to solve the problem. The Alberta court noted this approach was consistent with comments made by the Ontario Court of Appeal in Gillam. Ultimately, it concluded that when there is no reason for a party to sue anyone because the party reasonably believes that someone who had apparent liability actually assumed responsibility for addressing it, in doing so, the injury does not warrant bringing a legal proceeding. Turning back to Ontario, our last case of Presley and Van Dusen deals with the malodorous case of a faulty septic system and warranty work. The homeowners in this case hired a contractor to install a septic system. The contractor did so, and the local health unit approved the installation. The following spring, however, in 2011, the owners identified strong smells coming from the septic system. The contractor returned to site and replaced a pump that the contractor had believed was the source of the issue. The spring following, 
the smell returned. The contractor assured the homeowners that it was in a usually wet spring, which was causing issues with all septic systems in the area. The spring following, now 2013, the smell again returned, and the contractor advised that he could fix the issue by placing sand on the property. Between 2013 and 2014, the contractor, while assuring the homeowners that he would return to site to fix the issue, did not come to site to add the sand, as promised. In April of 2015, the owners called the health unit, who took samples from the septic system and condemned it, requiring the owners to replace the entire system at their cost. In August 2015, the owners commenced an action against the contractor who built the septic system and the health unit. The Court of Appeal, again interpreting Section 51A4 of the Ontario Limitations Act, looked at a line of occasions which held that, and I quote, a legal proceeding against an expert professional may not be appropriate if the claim arose out of the professional's alleged wrongdoing, but may be resolved by the professional himself or herself without recourse to the courts, rendering the proceeding unnecessary, end quote. Applied here, the evidence established that the homeowners had relied on the contractor's assurances that the problem with the septic system was readily fixable and that the contractor would, in fact, fix the problem. Had that occurred, as was promised, litigation would not have been necessary. The homeowners couldn't have known that a legal proceeding was appropriate until it became evident that the contractor could not or would not fix the problem. The homeowners likewise couldn't have known to sue the inspectant's agency until they had reasonably discerned that the contractor would not fix the mistake at its own cost. Madalena will now look at the broader application of these cases to the construction law landscape in general. As Brennan noted, these three decisions are recent and rather significant updates on limitation periods in Ontario and in Alberta. Gillam stands for the proposition that homeowners are entitled to rely upon the opinion of their contractor that a deficiency will resolve over time. In line with Gillam, Van Dusen determined that where an owner is engaged in discussions with a contractor, and further, where the contractor assures the owners they will fix the problems, the owners can rely on such assurances without legal recourse. In Alberta, the IBI case goes to show that a party cannot be barred from bringing its claim against a consultant while it is under the belief and assurance that the contractor is working to rectify the problems. The ramifications of these decisions in Ontario and Alberta will be important for homeowners, for contractors, and for consultants as they engage the application of limitation periods to actions related to construction deficiencies. From the point of view of homeowners, owners should document, preferably in writing, any correspondence with a contractor or the subcontractor. If you believe you have uncovered a small deficiency and are not planning any action, make it clear in writing that you have identified a minor issue and that this issue does not appear to be serious at the point in time that you have identified it, but that you will be monitoring it. If you think the issue is not worth pursuing at the time and plan to wait and see if it advances, or in other words, if it gets worse, notify the contractor or the subcontractor in writing that you do not think the issue constitutes real damages at that particular point in time. From the perspective of the contractor, it is important to note that words have meaning. 
If a contractor or a subcontractor tells an owner that a deficiency is minor, that it does not need to be repaired, resolved, or simply that it will resolve over time, or further that it should be monitored before any action is to be taken, you should be wary of how the court will interpret these words, especially in acting as an informal tolling agreement. The last point we wish to make is to tie these cases with Ontario's limitation periods. We anticipate that while arguing limitation periods can put some doubt on a plaintiff's claim and increase the leverage a defendant might have to bargaining for a settlement, a success on a summary judgment motion will require clear evidence of the following. First, that the damage was known. Second, that the source of damages was also known. And third, that the damage was not trivial. In other words, that it was not a minor deficiency. And lastly, that a legal action would be an appropriate means to remedy this non-trivial damage. To further extrapolate, a warranty period could provide a non-litigation-based means to remedy the defect, thus extending the limitation period, as we noted in the Alberta decision. Where the injured party is under an assurance that a deficiency can and is in the process of being fixed, their right of action will not be deemed to have commenced at that point of time, for they were not aware of a possible legal recourse until they found that such repairs or rectifications would not resolve the deficiency. We hope you have enjoyed this discussion on principles arising from recent Alberta and Ontario decisions with respect to the application of limitation periods in construction claims. The full case citations are provided in the podcast notes. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit glayholt.com for more information. If you have any questions, email us at info at We look forward to having you join us again.